You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to That Weird Podcast. That odd production of Garrett Ashley Mullet, the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is your host, Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado on Halloween 2021. It is Sunday, of course. Episode 177 of Season 3, 242 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'd like to start off this episode with something I'm not going to talk a whole lot about, just a little taste of the way that I am weird. And maybe I'm not that weird. Maybe this is far more normal and everybody's weird in ways like this. But I recently was exposed, and I say recently, I mean in recent months, by my coworker Tyler Stevenson to some music that I really like. I can't get enough of it. This album and its sequel by a group called Iron Horse. And this album, I'm just going to play a little bit of one of the tracks for you. This album is a cover album of Metallica's greatest hits, but it's bluegrass. It's a bluegrass cover of Metallica's greatest hits. And these guys are really good. You can tell older guys, they have been playing together for a long, long time. They make it look effortless. They're totally in sync. They do a very, very fine job. They've taken these Metallica songs and they have thoroughly worked them over and made them bluegrass. And it is a thing of beauty. Take a listen.
Again, that is Iron Horse and their cover of Metallica from the album Fade to Bluegrass. That particular track is Ride the Lightning. You can check it out on YouTube. I also have been listening to it a lot on Amazon Music. But good stuff. Really cool. Very excellent banjo playing. It makes me wish I knew how to play a banjo. But of course, there's going to be a lot of a lot of playing banjo before you're able to do what that guy's doing there, what those guys are doing there. So as to the topic of this podcast, I want to talk a bit more about something related to yesterday's episode, but more broad, more general and all-encompassing. And what I mean by that is being that weird homeschooling family. Now, it just so happens that right now we don't feel like that weird homeschooling family because by God's grace, we have found ourselves in a church here in Greeley slash Evans, Colorado, which has a number of families very similar to ours, very different from ours, but that's Part of how we're similar is that we are different along certain general lines, and we're very similar along certain specific lines. Not everybody at Summit View Community Church in Evans, Colorado, is a homeschooling family. Not everybody has six, seven, eight kids, but several families do have six, seven, eight kids, do homeschool, and for that matter, several families homeschool with the exact same curriculum that we use. And that was not why we moved to Colorado. We had no idea that that was something we would find ourselves enjoying. It is a great blessing. It's a great privilege. And we love it. But up until two and a quarter years ago when we moved to Colorado, we were that weird homeschooling family where we were that family with all the kids, or we were, what have you. We just didn't fit into a lot of different molds that people expect you to fit into these days. Very different, very unusual, very out of the ordinary. And as such, I have a great deal of compassion for people who are Unusual, as long as you're not unusual in some creepy way, like you're doing bad things and that's why you're on the outskirts of society. If you're just different, I can relate. We are different and we don't mind being different. In fact, I love weird things like a bluegrass tribute to Metallica. I think that's great. I think Nobody else is doing that, and that's part of why it's so special. When everybody does the same thing all the time, always just to try and fit in, there's no flavor in life. It's boring, and you don't come up with good ideas. But you can come up with good ideas more easily when there is a kind of creative license that is given to you within the community that you're in, within the society that you surround yourself in, and you can affect that society. 
And that's part of why we homeschool. That's part of why we do us the way that we do is that we're wanting to affect and transform society rather than being conformed to it along several key lines. First and foremost, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's our mantra. That is our modus operandi. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that might look very different in your house if you adopt that same mindset because there might be some things that are particular to your situation, your background, your understanding of the scriptures that come out in the way that you live life. In fact, not only might there be, there will be, there are, period. And we can recognize that and we could say, hey, that's, that's good with certain negotiable items. That is permissible. That's something to be celebrating. That's something to enjoy. And as long as we have that same framework of the God who created the universe is the one for whom we live, to whom we live, then we're going to have fellowship, even if we express our desire to honor God by God's grace in very different ways. So some of the things I said yesterday on this podcast could potentially, possibly, maybe, offend certain sectors, certain people that we like, certain people that we appreciate. For instance... I said that we are not a stodgy, conservative homeschool family that thinks Halloween and any recognition of Halloween is of the devil. We're just not. We're not one of those families, and those families exist. Those families are out there. My brother-in-law, if he'll forgive me for using him as an example, we knew each other from before junior high, from, from middle school. We knew each other from middle school before he or I met our wives. And he was a weird homeschool family. He was a weird homeschool kid. He was a always have to have your face clean, your hair combed, tuck your t-shirt into your blue jeans type of conservative kid growing up. Straight laced, clean cut, and strict upbringing. Rock music's of the devil, and we just don't do anything that could be tied in any way, shape, or form to paganism, secularism, godlessness, pop culture. We just don't do it. And I always thought that was weird. As a homeschool kid who was himself weird along different lines, I always thought that was weird. And I didn't want my family, when my wife and I got married, started having kids, and we're talking about how we're going to bring them, bring them up, <laughs> how we're going to raise them, how we're going to orient our family, our household. I didn't want us to be that. I didn't want us to be the, hey, guys, you've always got to have your T-shirt tucked in because that is what? Why? Right? If I can't articulate a good sound reason from the scriptures and it's just being strict for strictness sake, then mm, probably going to pass. Probably going to pass. If this is not serving some useful purpose or if this is not a clear-cut case of principles from the Word, I, I just don't 
I have time for it. I don't want to. I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's all there is to it. And I think that creativity is a very important thing. Maybe that's in part because I grew up with a mom who played piano. So she's a musician. And on my mom's side of the family, they're more academic. So I like intellectual freedom. I like academic freedom. I like freedom of thought. I like freedom of speech. Sometimes my mom's side of the family has been too free. Sometimes my dad's side of the family has been too free in their speech. They say things that maybe are in poor taste, just like human beings of every stripe do. But I like freedom of speech. I like freedom to innovate. I like freedom to come up with new ideas and new ways of doing things. And to question and challenge tradition, if tradition is based on nothing more than this person a few generations back just decided this is how we do things. Okay, well, that's fine. Did they just decide that this is how we do things because that was their preference and that's all? Or did they have some firm grounding in scripture or good sense or good taste, which is inviolable? You can't argue with, you can't disagree with, and have a good conscience. You know, in the one case, if there are traditions that are just somebody's preference from generations ago and we're doing this thing still that way out of deference to them, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be on board with that and maybe I'd rather not. And maybe I would rather us form some new traditions that are intentional along the lines of our conscience and our reading of scripture and what's, what God has laid on our hearts, what our convictions are. And I'd rather not be bound if I don't have to be, because the less I'm bound in ways that I don't have to be bound, the more free, more creative I can be. And for that matter, somebody could say, well, you know, there's, there's danger in freedom. If you're too free to untuck your shirt, well, then what's next, right? You're too free to listen to a bluegrass tribute to Metallica, well then, next thing you know, you're joining the Hells Angels because you start listening to real Metallica. And then, you you know, it's all downhill from there. I don't want to be that sort of weird homeschooling family. I just don't. And I don't mean any offense to those who are that way. Uh, I probably, in their view, if any of them listen to this podcast, I'm probably not doing justice to their position. Maybe I don't understand their position as well as I ought. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And that means, in part, I don't want to violate the commands of God by the traditions of men. In my reading of Scripture, I see the Pharisees in the Gospel accounts, and I know that that's what they are constantly getting in conflict with Jesus over, that they elevate human tradition above the commands of God. And when there's a contradiction, when they're mutually exclusive, you can't abide by both at the same time, the Pharisees in the gospel accounts choose human tradition. They choose their own rules, which have moved the goalposts into a stricter adherence to how they interpret God's law. 
And in the process, over generations, eventually, the, the generation of Pharisees, the segment, cohort, if you will, that Jesus is encountering and talking with, by and large, don't motivate themselves to do what they do and to not do what they don't do because this is going to please God, because thus saith the Lord. They do X, Y, and Z because, well, that's what my teacher told me. That's the way it's been done for hundreds of years. They rely on, they bank on, they continually come back to human authority. One of the headlines that is out and about in the metaverse (laughs) this week is that President Joe Biden met with the Pope. And the Pope put to rest any talk of these Democrat politicians in America not being given communion because they support the murder, wholesale, brutal murder on a massive scale of unborn children. According to Joe Biden anyways, the Pope has put that to rest and said, you should keep receiving communion. You're a good Catholic. You're a good Catholic because my human tradition comes up against God's word and my human tradition wins out. In the current Pope's case, his human tradition, in his individual personal case, is very much informed by out-and-out Marxism. Big government, redistribution of wealth, equity, social justice, anti-capitalism, Marxism, communism. First Pope from South America, he is all about that shtick. And he's using the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, to promote progressivism around the world. And he's getting pushback. Yes, I understand that. Not all good Catholics are on board with what it is that the Pope is putting down. They're not picking up what he's putting down. They don't like it. But then again, they're in a bit of a pickle, aren't they? The Pope says this. He is the heir to the keys to the kingdom from St. Peter, because we interpret St. Peter as the first pope. We interpret Jesus saying, on this rock I will build my church, a little too literally, because it's convenient. It was convenient to Catholics centuries ago, and the tradition has been passed down to us. And when push comes to shove, our Catholicism wins out. Our Catholic tradition, more to the point, wins out. Joe Biden's a good Catholic. Okay. So then a good Catholic need not abide by even the most basic of God's laws against shedding innocent blood or murder. Got it. 10-4, good buddy. 10-4. You can have that same dynamic, though, in Protestant circles. I've talked here this past week about hailing from Mennonite stock on my dad's side, and the Mennonites can do this. Even though it's not Roman Catholicism, it's that same no temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man, which colors some of the expression of Mennonite culture. You could say it's Mennonite theology, but in some cases, it's not Mennonite theology so much as it is Mennonite tradition, Mennonite culture. And there's nothing wrong with having a tradition, generally speaking, or culture, generally speaking. It's just that All things being permissible does not mean that all things are beneficial. And that includes following traditions. That includes 
upholding your distinctive culture. You should not become a slave to human tradition. You should not become a slave to your culture of origin. That's part of what Jesus is talking about when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, rather. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Do you know why that is? I'll tell you. His yoke is easy and his burden is light by virtue of the fact that all of this extra is negotiable. What's not negotiable is doing the will of his Father who's in heaven. And when you take Christ's yoke upon you, life gets a lot less complicated. Now, the task of trying to take his yoke upon you is not easy, but it is a lot simpler. It is a lot simpler by God's grace. It's not the burdensome, I've got to please everybody and all my generations and all my ancestors and all my relatives all have to be on board with whatever it is that I do. They all have to support it. They all have to agree with it. They all have to affirm it. And every living authority in my family, in my community has to approve of what I do before I can have a good conscience and sleep at night having done it. No, no, it ain't like that. First and foremost, God has to be pleased with what it is that you did. Now, if God's displeased with you having ruffled some feathers because you were out of line and they're offended because you did an ungodly, unscrupulous, unethical, wicked thing, it still comes back to, against you only have I sinned, like David writes in the Psalms. Against you only have I sinned, David says, to God. You're playing for an audience of one. So last night, as I said in yesterday's episode where I'm talking about Halloween and what we do and what we don't do and how we approach it and trying to learn some more about it, I said I'm not opposed to watching a slightly scary movie, a scarier movie than what we might otherwise watch on Halloween, around Halloween. I can see some utility in us going along with the community around us in a distinctive way that's not totally opposite. We're not trying to be belligerent. We're not trying to be different just for the sake of being different, but we want to be different in an intentional way, in part to make sure that we don't get sucked into a black hole, get pulled down with one of these undercurrents, becoming a slave to tradition, becoming a slave to the norms of the culture we find ourselves in. And so I came up with three choices, three movie choices. It took a little bit. I had five initially that I came up with, and then I pared it down to three. And then I brought my kids in, and I said, okay, here are the three choices for a movie tonight. You've got 1931 Dracula starring Bela Lugosi. I've never seen it, but it could be fun. It's an old-timey, black-and-white uh, you know, not super high-end special effects movie, but it could be fun. That one was ruled out pretty much right away by my son, Daniel. He's like, oh, it's black and white? No, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> I like color. Okay, fine. Maybe someday you'll understand 
the uh, charm of black and white movies. There's something charming about them. But, okay, that's fine. Nobody voted for Dracula. Second choice, second runner-up was the 1999 version of The Mummy, starring Brendan Fraser. And I am forgetting her name, Rachel Weiss, wife of uh, Daniel Craig, actually. Fun fact. I was surprised when I found that out a year or so ago. Rachel Weiss from The Mummy is uh, married to Daniel Craig, James Bond. So that's the second choice, The Mummy. Bit more action-adventure type film, bit faster-paced, bit more funny, a little f- more fun, maybe, uh, more exciting. And then the third choice is The Village, 2004, I believe, M. Night Shyamalan, back when M. Night Shyamalan was making really, really good movies still. Don't know what happened to him, but The Village, if any of you have never seen that one, go check it out. That ended up winning. We got more votes. Eli and Daniel, they didn't want to watch a scary movie at all, so they just completely abstained. I don't want to watch a movie. I was like, okay, well, if you don't vote, then it's just going to be whatever everybody else votes and you are going to watch. <laughs> you you need to watch. So the village ended up winning. Had our homemade pizza, pizza night, family movie night, Saturday night. And we watched the village. And it was a bit scary at different points. And my wife was amused. Lauren was amused. She's watching their faces. And eyes are going wide at different parts. And a couple of them are trying to scurry out of the room real quick at the super tense, most tense, most suspenseful parts of the movie. And then I did. I said, no, 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 no. You get back here. Get back here. You got to watch this. Well, but it's scary. I'm going to have nightmares. I'm good. Okay, fine. Have nightmares and learn to face your fears. Don't be like these jokers who are sent to escort Ivy to the towns to get medicine for Lucius, these jokers, these men with hollow chests end up abandoning the blind girl to go by herself and get medicine. You're abandoning her. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. I shouldn't be here. I'm going to go back. Don't be that guy. Learn to face your fears. Sit down. And I got to thinking as we're watching this and we watched it all the way through. And then, of course, as expected, as predicted, by the end of it, they're like, oh, wow. So the whole time it was actually this? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Aren't you glad you watched the movie? Yeah. Okay. Trust your father. (laughs) I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two including this movie, several times. But I got to thinking, there's probably a lot of very, very conservative homeschool families that would not watch The Village with their kids, particularly their younger kids, because it's too scary. And they probably would give in to that. And they might even say that their Christian faith informs their not going there. And you know what? They're free to make those calls, to make those decisions to make those judgment calls. But that is part of what the village is about, actually, is you 
close yourself off from the outside world, spoiler alert, turn this off now and go watch the movie and come back if you haven't seen The Village before, but this community of elders shut themselves off from the outside world because they've gone through painful, traumatic loss. And they're going to have children and they're going to raise their families in this isolated community in the middle of the woods, surrounded by forest on all sides. And we don't leave this clearing. We don't go into the woods because there's creatures in the woods who they don't come here. We don't go there. We just live right in here, guys. Okay. And as long as they do that, they think for a couple of decades, they think that they're safe from those bad things that happened in the real world out there. And then you come to find out, actually, so long as we are here and we are people with a sinful nature, and I'm interpreting this, this isn't explicit, this is just something even M. Night Shyamalan in Hollywood can't help but pick up on and present, even if they don't make full sense of it in their own minds. But as long as you have a sinful nature, it's here. It's it's in you. As long as you're here, the corruption that you think you're fleeing in the outside world is it's not being fled. It's here. It's with you. It's with your children. It's with your friends. And until you're willing to face that and confront it, actually you will continue being a slave to it. It will own you. It will rule over you. It will master you. You will be a slave to it. And I want my children to know things like that. And I want them to be clear about that. I don't want them on the one hand, growing up, being part of that homeschool family, who thinks my family, my home is perfect. And the outside world is ooga booga scary. Everything that happens out there is awful evil all the time. Because what happens is a kid who grows up in that kind of an environment eventually goes out in the real world and they realize, you know what? This actually isn't quite as bad as mom and dad made it out to be. And actually come to think of it, some of the people outside of my home are nicer sometimes in some ways than what my family was and what my home was. And actually maybe... It was my home and my family that was wrong with the world. And it's the outside world that is so great. And so I'm just going to go off the deep end and I'm going to be a rebel and I'm going to get tattoos, smoke a drink, do drugs and party and be wild. Because now I think this is all actually a lot better than where I came from. I don't want that. I don't want that for my kids. But I have to be intentional and I've got to be honest We have got to be honest with our kids in order to not set them up for that sort of a collision. I don't want my kids to think either, though, from their upbringing. Everything's fine. Everything in broader society is okay. Everything out there is fine. The world is safe. You're able to do whatever. Just go with the flow here's a popular movie, here's a popular way to celebrate this holiday, here's a popular way to plan your life, to treat people, and to think about political and social and cultural matters, and God, and man, 
So just go with it because the world is fine. The world is a great place. People are inherently good. You're inherently good. We're all just fine. It'll be fine. No, I don't want to tell my kids that because that's not quite true either. Hey guys, here's the setup. God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. He saw that it was good right up until he made man in his image. Male and female, he created them. Not Baskin Robbins, number of genders, male and female. And then God said it was very good. The creation was very good. And then the serpent tempted Eve. And she took the fruit and she ate it that God had commanded you don't take and you don't eat. And she gave some to her husband and her husband ate. And then they get thrown out of the garden. And we don't even get a generation out of Eden. And brother is murdering brother brutally. Premeditated murder. God even confronts Cain about it on the front end. Sin is at your door, crouching at your door. Its desire is to rule over you, to have you, but you must rule over it. He doesn't. He murders his brother. He murders righteous Abel. So it seems to me the far better route to go is to say, I'm going to expose you guys in strategic ways, at strategic times, with parental guidance, to certain things. And then I'm going to try and inform your understanding with the big picture. Here's the setup. Here's your worldview. Here's why this is the way that it is. Or I don't know. That's a valid answer as well when it's the case. I don't know. Guys, I don't know. I'm not going to try and bluff you. I'm not going to try and pretend I know just so that you have confidence and you feel safe. I think you'll feel safer if I tell you on the front end. I don't know, but let's figure it out. Or I don't know, and I've never had any problems not knowing that I know of. But I do know this, and maybe we can deduce, maybe we can what have you. I think when people on the outside, let's say in this neighborhood, apart from our neighbor's two houses down, because Chavez is, they're good people, good folks. They know us. We know them. But other people in the broader community, we don't do the homeschooling thing, and that seems like a foreign concept. They're far more favorable in their impression now through COVID, through CRT and pornography and just craziness in the public schools. Homeschooling has exploded in popularity. So now we get more of a favorable first impression before we've had a chance to say anything than we used to. Oh, you're homeschooling? That's so great. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, well, we've been homeschooling for quite some time. We were homeschooling before this was a thing. We've been homeschooling for decades, actually, if you want to count my being homeschooled growing up. But thanks. (laughs) Other than the COVID stuff, people on the outside, they look in and they say, you guys are different and we don't know what to do with you. And I actually think that's good. I I actually think that at least can be a really good thing. I had a conversation here on Friday with a manager at work. And this manager at work was trying to clear the air. And I appreciate that, actually. Um, 
some explanations were given on both sides of some things that were obviously points of contention between us that had not been resolved. They were kind of built up over the course of the past year or two. And I talked through some things. And one of the things that was said by this manager was that people don't like change. People find change uncomfortable. And sometimes they react badly to change. And so you have to kind of ease them into it. Now, the funny thing is that was said in the context of my making changes. <laughs> so I make changes and I need to be understanding of the fact that if you change too much too fast without explaining it to people, they're not going to like it and they're going to react badly. They're going to misunderstand and be upset. Now, the flip side I don't know if that occurred to him that management actually has been making a whole heck of a lot of changes very quickly with little to no prep and just saying, get used to it, guys. And when those changes are made, what well, is what it is? Get used to it. When I make some changes aesthetically, rearrange some things in my office, for instance, get new furniture, move the printer out. Because why does the printer for the whole facility need to be in my office where you guys are in and out, in and out all day? It, the simple answer is it doesn't need to be in my office. It can be out in the hallway, and you guys can get things from the printer without traipsing through my office while I'm trying to concentrate, while I'm trying to focus on something, while I'm trying to stay on task or I'm in a meeting or what have you. You don't need that printer to be in my office. I move it out to the hallway. Some people don't like that I moved it out to the hallway, apparently. Five months ago, six months ago. Really? I moved the printer out to the hallway six months ago? Five months ago? And I'm just now hearing that some people didn't like it? And also, by the way, what's the big deal? I did all the heavy lifting and the hard work of getting it rearranged, getting it put where I thought it could go, and it does go. And it fits there just fine. And it looks great, in my opinion. Some people don't like that I made that change and I didn't check with anybody first. Well, I'm sorry. Who do I check with who has more right to say whether this printer is in my office than I do? I was told I could rearrange. I rearranged. I was given broad latitude. I interpreted it and acted accordingly. But there is something to be said for change being a part of life, and for us accepting change, broadly speaking. We should be cautious not to suppose that all change is beneficial. That's an evolutionary mindset which is not borne out by history. Not all change is beneficial. In fact, a lot of change is just downright dumb and stupid and counterproductive. And usually the kinds of change you can count on to be dumb, counterproductive, are changes from people who just want to change things to assert themselves. I'm just changing this because I want to feel like I'm in control. Now, in my case, I move a printer out. And somebody might look at that and say, you're just moving the printer to assert dominance, to feel like you're in control, to let us all know this is how it's going to be moving forward. Hmm. 
No. Although, if I move the printer out of my office, in part to assert my right to some space, you got to give me some space in order to work, in order to assert my right to some respect, some professional courtesy. Is that so bad? No. But I had very practical reasons for moving the printer out, like when I'm having a meeting with $150 an hour PLC programmers, system integrators, electrical engineers, and it's complicated, and then you guys walk through the room three or four times to print things off, that's not conducive. That's not helpful. That's not necessary. And if you want that just so you can walk through my office and look at if whether I'm working on something on the computer, what I'm working on, whether you think it's important, whether you understand whether it's important to know whether you think it's important, whether you have the good taste to second guess your disapproval if you don't think that that's important and what I need to be working on right now. If that's why you want the printer to stay in my office so you have an excuse to walk through and keep tabs on me, well, then I'm sorry, but that's the kind of change we need. We, we need to change that right now. And so also, you know, it, some of the things Lauren and I have changed up, we've thought to ourselves and we've commented to ourselves, I really wish that there would have been a strong tradition that we could have just grafted into our family from either her family, from my family, something to just do that our parents did. I actually think one of the things that we should really strive to conserve is the right idea about change. Can I just say that? I, I think you can have a conservative outlook theologically and still be for positive change. I don't think it's an either-or sort of a thing. I think actually the most successful conservatives are going to adapt when and where it is acceptable to adapt. But we have to know when and why it is not acceptable to get with the times. I mean, you take a look at the Pope meeting with Joe Biden. The historical position of the Roman Catholic Church is that murder is evil. It's a sin. Murder is a sin. Why is more murder why is murder a sin? Well, one would imagine murder is a sin because the Bible says murder is a sin, but it gets a little more dicey because of Roman Catholic tradition, which says that councils and the Pope and bishops and cardinals interpret the Scripture. They interpret the Scripture. And so, in effect, the Bible says what they say it says. And you look at a passage talking about murder, and you say, well, it's pretty clear. And they might say, well, who are you to interpret this passage for yourself? It is not necessary or beneficial or helpful or good that you have a pope who is trying to say, well, let's get with the times in our attitude, our relationship toward infanticide. Let's get with the times. Let's get on board. Let's get on the right side of history. The Bible clearly says 
this. God has spoken and said that hands shedding innocent blood are on his short list of things he detests and despises and which are an abomination to him. That's a non-negotiable. Diverging from that is not going to be good in any way, shape, or form. However, some other changes, some other adaptations, some other ways of relating might actually be a continuation of the way that it's always been. For instance, we find a new way to communicate. Back in the day, my wife and I communicated over Yahoo Messenger, for instance. That's actually where I told her that I kind of sort of maybe would like to go out with her, possibly think about if you feel like it, have the time maybe dating me. Would you like to maybe date me? Uh, Something like that. I think it was better than that, actually, but still. Something along the lines of, I think you're really great, and would you be interested in going out with me sometime? We were you. We were using Yahoo Messenger, and my parents' generation, your parents' generation, maybe didn't have Yahoo Messenger to ask a girl out, or to be asked out for that matter. And now, do I use Yahoo Messenger? Can I remember the last time I used Yahoo Messenger? No. Now I use Signal. Now I'm using Signal to keep up with my wife because it's private and secure, and no jokers over at the FBI or the NSA are listening in, so far as I know, unless it's a honeypot, which is a possibility. But so far as I know, as secure messaging platforms go, it's the best. And I send her messages through the day. And I talk with her and I say, hey, here's what's going on at work. Or, hey, what do we have going on Saturday? Or she tells me the kids are being helpful today, or I'm having trouble with this one, and can you talk with them when you get home, and things like that. We talk about things like that all through the day. And such as it is, is that change upsetting? Does it need to be upsetting? Do we need to have a moral dilemma over that? Do we need to have a a council convene and search the scriptures to see whether using the Signal app is acceptable or not? No. Now, there's a change that has been made in how we do this thing, which has always been acceptable to do, has always been a good thing to do, and that is for a husband to live with his wife in an understanding way. That's biblical. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Well, how can you live with your wife in an understanding way if you don't talk with her, if you don't ask her questions, if you don't tell her what's on your mind, if you don't work through things, if you don't coordinate your efforts? So... A very conservative person could say, well, I don't think that's very good that we're relying on instant messaging. We need to have more face-to-face conversations. I just, I'm going to wait until I get home and talk with my wife face-to-face, save everything up, not talk with her through the day. Besides, I'm busy with work. I can't really be pulling out my phone every five minutes to read a message from my wife or text her back or whatever. Well, that's fine, right? All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. In your particular context, maybe, maybe that particular change is not beneficial. But how silly would it be, since I keep bringing up my work situation, we'll go there again. How silly would it be for you to say, well, 
nobody else is messaging their wife throughout the day or at all. Or nobody else is listening to audiobooks while they work sometimes. Or nobody else drinks coffee. And so therefore, I'm not going to do that. Even though I really want to. Even though it would be very useful. Even though it would be very beneficial for me to be listening to an audiobook while I do this monotonous task that doesn't require a lot of brain power because I might actually be more focused because the audiobook will focus me and then I just I do the thing. Or it might be really beneficial for me to text my wife rather than worrying and being distracted with my worry, I'll send her a text and then I'll not worry about it until I get a notification back from her and I'll focus on the task at hand. Nobody else is drinking coffee, but by golly, I could really go for a cup because I'm falling asleep because it's cold outside, baby. Whatever. How silly would it be to say, we've just got to do what everybody else around us is doing. You know, in terms of traditions to start or to have or to maintain, that's not a good tradition to have. We only do what everybody else around us is doing. Don't have traditions like that. That's dumb. We only make changes when everybody around us is on board with making changes. No, that's a bad, that's a bad culture to create. You will not be successful you will not outmaneuver your competitors if you only do what everybody around you is doing. Now that said, it gets a little complicated. Try this on for size. I read a book by Robert Greene called Mastery. And Robert Greene, kind of an amoral philosopher, to be honest with you, not a fan of number of things that he advises and puts in there and says it feels too Machiavellian but nevertheless there's some shrewdness you can pick up from reading Robert Greene his book Mastery sits on my shelf in my office on the wall on the floating shelf above the window floating shelf that nobody else has I haven't seen anybody else with a floating shelf so probably shouldn't have gotten a floating shelf and innovated and done something that nobody else was doing, but it is what it is now. I guess it's up there. Nobody else has had a floating shelf and then taken it down either, so I better better quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> Don't want to do another thing that nobody else has done and taking my floating shelf down. But I have Robert Greene's book, Mastery, on the shelf. And one of the stories he tells in Mastery is the story of Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin goes to London for a time when he's a young man to work in the printing business. That's what he had done with his brother and with some others there in New England, in the colonies. He's pretty good. He's going to stretch his legs, see the world. He goes to London to work for a printing shop there. And once he's there, these guys that are already there, they're established, they let him know, hey, just so you know, we take a collection every day for beer. The drinking water here is not so safe, actually. And beer is actually, believe it or not, safer to drink because it's been through the fermentation process so we all drink beer through the day. Well, Ben Franklin is not about that. He's not for that. He thinks that's unprofessional, for one. 
He thinks that's dangerous for another. When guys are three sheets to the wind by noon because they've been drinking beer all morning, you might be forgiven for saying, I am going to pass. Thanks. But Ben Franklin, in his youth, does something that gets him into a little bit of trouble. They're passing around the hat to collect donations because we're all going to chip in. We're all going to be drinking the beer. We're all going to pay for the drinking of the beer. That's how it works. Ben Franklin is not going to be drinking the beer, though. And so, therefore, he is not going to be paying for his coworkers to be drinking the beer. He doesn't approve of it, doesn't agree with it, doesn't want to support that. Why would he? Why would I pay for beer I'm not going to drink? All of a sudden, some weird things start happening. Weird mistakes start creeping into Ben Franklin's work. Weird accidents when he is trying to print something. And he asks his coworkers about it because this is very unusual. He's never had problems like this before. He's very attentive to detail and he doesn't make these kinds of mistakes. He's sure that he's sure that he's sure that something's wrong. And so he asks and his coworkers, his new compatriots, tell him, oh, no, 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 that's just the ghost. That's the ghost who inhabits this printing shop. Think nothing of it. Franklin gives this some thought. And he realizes, no, 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 no. This isn't a ghost. You guys are sabotaging me. Because I refuse to pay into the beer fund. And moreover, I refuse to drink beer. Moreover, I disapprove of you drinking beer through the day. And... Your ego is bruised. You don't like that I think I'm better than you. And you're going to try and let me know you don't like that. You're going to try and settle the score, even the playing field, however you want to put it. So Ben Franklin has an option. He can confront the whole printing shop. I know what you guys are doing. You need to knock it off. Stop it. Or he can pay into the beer fund. What Franklin does is he pays into the beer fund. And all of a sudden, he stops having weird issues with the type, with the press. All of a sudden, the ghost is exercised. And the moral of the story is Franklin compromised. He made a change in his way of relating so as to preserve harmony with his co-workers. Now, this is where I get to feeling frustrated with Robert Greene, admittedly, because I look at that and I think, that's jacked up. That's dumb. That's extortion. And yes, it is. And the dilemma is whether you confront that and you don't let that stand And then maybe it gets a lot worse because if they were upset before, if they were angry with you before for thinking you were better than they are or whatever, you confront them on it and you just rubbed salt in that wound as they see it. Now they're really mad. Now they're really, you thought they were going after you before. 
and they're really going to go after you. Sometimes, pragmatically, you change in strategic ways so long as it doesn't offend the Almighty God. What other people might do to you if you don't change, that's somewhat aside. Somewhat aside. And it's a judgment call, and it's admittedly a difficult one sometimes because you might say, well, I don't want to participate in this. I object on principled grounds, and I don't want to reward bad behavior. I don't want to make these guys think that they can do this thing. They can act this way. So I'm going to tell them, knock it off. That's enough. And maybe that's the right course sometimes, and maybe other times. Being wise as serpents and harmless as doves means that you moderate. Admittedly, it's tricky and complicated and difficult, and it's a judgment call. But again, coming back to being that weird homeschool family, my concern, if I were to say, hey guys, no movies, no scary movies on Halloween, no candy corn, which I need to get some candy corn today, by the way, no candy corn, no jack-o'-lanterns, no cool, funny masks, no scary movies on Halloween. We don't do anything for Halloween. If I were to do that, it might, in the end, create a kind of bitterness that is actually worse than us finding a acceptable way to be at least somewhat participating. Now, Ben Franklin doesn't drink the beer, but he, he puts in some money, as expected, because he realizes pragmatically it's just going to be easier to go with the flow on this. I don't like this, but it is what it is. And the only way I can positively influence the situation is by compromising on this point. So I'm going to. I'm going to hold my nose. I'm going to do it. Some of the worst elements of Halloween I don't like, and I'm not going to participate in those. We're not going to do a Ouija board. We're not going to hang ghosts in the front of our yard. But we might watch The Village and eat some homemade pizza. We might watch The Mummy and eat some candy corn or some candied apples. Yeah, taking the long view, being a little bit more pragmatic. You got to pick your battles is what it amounts to. But I got to leave it there. It is a Sunday morning. I need to get kids up. The four older boys are going with me, I believe, unless all are... Some of them are sick, in which case those ones will stay home. Youngest two to three of our kids have been feeling a bit under the weather this week, and my wife is going to stay home with them at least. But as always, I want to thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.